The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today. Another very quiet Monday on Wall Street. This market has been sleepy all spring, even stuck in a rut, waiting for something. But what? Let's ask Ben Levison, Barron's Deputy Editor, and my guest today. Hi, Ben. Welcome to Barron's Live. We are wide awake, but the market is snoozing. What's going on? Lauren, speak for yourself. I'm, I'm Susan too. No, um, in actuality, <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right about this market. It is dull. Um, we've had uh, um, six weeks where the market has moved less than uh, 1% in either direction. Over those six weeks, the S&P 500 has gained 0.4%. Um, it's really a market where that hasn't just decided that uh, it's going to stay right where it is. And we get little moves up and down where people get excited, but then there's no follow through. Um, I was reading a Piper uh, Sandler note this morning that was blaming it on a few things, including just these earnings. Um, you know, there's been a ton of them and they're kind of canceling each other out. I think I've mentioned this before, but we get stocks that uh, go up a lot. We get stocks that go down a lot, but it all just uh, ends up being when you put it all together, they go nowhere. Uh, as a whole. Uh, we've had a lot of economic data, and though the data has been pretty decent, um, or at least uh, not frightening, let's put it that way. It's been nothing to suggest that the Fed has to start hiking rates again by half a point or even a quarter of a point. There's been no signs that a recession is here right now at this moment. Um, but there's also been nothing to say that uh, we're going to end up in a very good place when all is said and done. And so that kind of canceled each other out. And then, of course, we have the debt ceiling, um, which we're going to talk about more, um, which is yeah. totally binary. Uh, up, it goes it can go one way, it can go the other way. Uh, you know, it's frightening. So do you really want to be taking bets in front of that? Um, and so I think it all adds up to this uh, this flat market where there is just, uh, you know, not much. Uh, you can't really draw many conclusions about things. And so people are right now sitting on their hands. So not only is it a flat market, it's also a narrow market. And in non-technical terms, that means most of the action is in a handful of stocks and the broad mass of stocks aren't participating. That's generally not considered so healthy. But one of our listeners, Peter, asks what I've been wondering. How concerned are you about the narrow market breadth, which is leading to a divergence between the advanced decline line in the S&P 500? But let's focus on that narrow market breadth part of the question. Yeah, that, that narrow market breadth has been painful. Um, it's, it's painful for stock pickers like Barron's because really, if you want to beat the market, you have to have picked Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, Netflix, NVIDIA, or Tesla. 
we've, we picked Tesla. We did a great job there. We picked it at uh, just uh, off its low um, at around 107, and that's done quite well for us. Um, but we don't have longs uh, on the others at this point, I don't think. Um, and that's that, That's tough if you're a stock picker. These stocks have really, um, they, they've accounted for, they count for almost a quarter of the S&P 500 right now. They're about half of the S&P 500 growth index. And so they're doing all the heavy lifting in this market. And you look underneath the surface and other things aren't doing so well. And that leads to things, as you said, about the advanced decline line isn't great. You look at the breadth numbers each week. They're not great. Um, you look at things like the equal weighted S&P 500 and you compare it to a regular, the, the market cap weighted S&P 500. And it's it's pretty scary. Um, the the RSP uh, ETF, which is the, an ETF that tracks the equal weighted uh, S&P 500, um, that is actually flat on the year. It's up 0.35%, while the S&P 500 itself is up 7.43%, so seven percentage points more. And that's all because of those big stocks. So we just established that eight stocks are leading the market and account for almost half of the S&P 500 growth index. You went through the names. When things get that lopsided, it makes sense to ask, are those stocks too pricey? Is there going to be some reversion to whatever the mean is these days? Is tech ready to fall? What do you think? Well, this is where it gets uh, it gets tricky because you asked me if, about that, how worried I am about that um, that narrow breadth, and this can actually resolve itself in in two ways. One would be kind of the scary way is that uh, the uh, the tech stocks uh, start to fall um, for one reason or another, um, and uh, the rest of the market uh, just either stays where it is or they fall too, and you get a, a, a another leg down, um, kind of the, the worst case scenario that people are, are talking about out there. Um, you know, you have people talking about at least downside risk to 3,800 um, in this kind of flat market. Um, and uh, that that would be frightening. And there are, there are things that we can see that could cause that. Um, it could be something like a strengthening dollar. The dollar, uh, when it is uh, weak, is actually um, good for uh, multinational companies. Those happen to be some of our biggest companies. They get to translate their uh, their euros uh, into, uh, into more dollars and everybody's happy. Um, and it's uh, and they get to sell more products because their their products are cheaper. Um, but the so if the dollar would bounce, that might be tough for some of these multinationals. That could hurt. Rising rates again uh, would would be tough. But there's there's another way this could resolve itself, and uh, this is kind of pointed out by um, the folks over at Sentiment Trader. They, they put out a newsletter every day, um, really just focusing on like th these historical performance of when you, you see certain things. One of the things that they noted is that there is not a single S&P 500 equal weighted sector um, that has been able to have a positive relative trend score versus the market cap weighted S&P 500. Um, that doesn't happen very often. And um, it, it actually happens like four or five, six times, something along those lines. So what's and, the significance of that? Well, it, what it tells you is that there has, as we know, it tells us that uh, these big stocks have been outperforming. But often the way that it resolves itself is not by the big stocks falling, but by the smaller stocks actually starting to rally. And so in all these scenarios, the S&P 500 has actually gone on to rally over the next 12 months quite a bit of the time with only one episode where it dropped and then only by 6%. 
Um, so just because, so to answer your question about tech is I do think tech's outperformance is going to stop. Um, and, I, I, and I would not be putting more money into those stocks here, I don't think. Um, but I, I think you do have to look for opportunities elsewhere and perhaps some of those stocks start to outperform. So that would be a new bull market if the smaller stocks caught up to the big tech stocks. Or maybe you continue with the flat market where the smaller stocks uh, outperform and the big ones are the ones which make it, uh, you know, uh, 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 sorry, what am I trying to say? Where the, the bigger ones are the ones that cancel out the gains and the small ones and you end up with a flat market for a while longer. Which would be a very familiar phenomenon after this spring. Yes, so one reason people are seeking the safety and growth in tech stocks is because of worries about the nation's banks. And that's been true ever since mid-March when Silicon Valley Bank failed. On the surface, things seem to have normalized with the banks after two additional bank failures. But beneath the surface, Torsten Slock, who's an economist at Apollo, argues that all is not well. So tell us more about what he's been saying. Well, let me, let me start first with what others have been saying, because I think the idea that all is not well is uh, probably fairly well known. I mean, this is we got a, a Dallas Fed report today, and the takeaway there is the banking outlook continues to deteriorate. We got uh, last week something known as the SLUs report. Um, all these reports that I never cared about in my life, all of a sudden I have to pay attention to. This is the uh, the, uh, the the lending service. Yeah, loan officer of survey. Yeah. Exactly. So this is asking them, you know, are, is, are you making it harder or easier to get loans? And guess what? They're making it harder. Um, surprise, surprise there. Um, and what we're seeing, though, is that um, it, what, what's, uh, what Slock zeroes in on is um, investment grade credit spreads, um, basically how much they're paying for debt um, relative to, the, you know, the risk free treasury. And it's widened out by. Um, ben, I can't hear you. Uh Oh, you can't hear me. Am I back? No, now I can. You're back again. Thanks. All right, good. I'm back. So basically what he looks at is the spreads in how much the regional banks and other banks are paying for their debt relative to treasuries. And guess what? Since all this stuff started, um, you have 200 basis points of widening for regional banks and you have 50 basis points for diversified banks, which means they're paying more um for debt and that's that's a problem because they're basically they that means that their their borrowing costs have increased and that means that their margins are going to get squeezed and they're going to have less to lend and all this points to problems um it's more expensive for banks to run their businesses and uh, slack thinks that this is actually this jump in funding costs for banks is permanent um and that means that the, the longer term this, this is going to be a real issue i think the, the question becomes have they gotten hit hard enough at this point to reflect these issues that higher cost of funding and that's what we're going to be i think watching um and it becomes very difficult to trade here i mean i was uh one where I'm, you know, whenever I see these huge drops, um, I often think, okay, are, are people overreacting? Should we be jumping in? Is it a buying opportunity? And one of the problems with it is that, you know, when you look at a stock like, let's say, PacWest, um, the thing is so volatile that on any given day, it might be a, a, you know, a buy or a sell, depending on the moves. But really, it has gotten hit. hit. Um, the questions about them are so hard and the results are so binary that it does feel like you just need to stay away for a while. Of course, when sentiment gets that bad. Ben, I think I lost you again. Oh, no. I don't know what's going on because I'm not even moving. No. All um, right. Back again. All right. So when the. 
Um, when the uh, when sentiment is this bad, though, is also the time that you do want to be looking for opportunity. But I think it's still at this point, it's one where you do have to be very careful. All right, definitely a story we're going to continue to follow. Let's move on to another story that is probably going to dominate as the week goes on. That's the debt ceiling. You mentioned it earlier. There has been some progress, it seems, on, re on resolving the federal debt ceiling. The president is talking today with congressional leaders. If a deal is finally struck, do you think the market would rejoice or do you think stocks would sell off? That's a big bet. Um, I mean, it's, it's a big it? if. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's really, uh, I honestly don't know. Um, I, I think uh, like if they, if it happens today, I'm not sure there's a big reaction either way. Because um, I don't think the stock market has been all that worried about it quite yet. Um, you know, investors know that it's binary. Um, traders, though, are not going to be making too many bets. They might be doing it in the options market and things like that. But they're going to be, you know, waiting and waiting to see. And they will react when they have to react. Um, and we're not there yet. So I'm not sure how much uh, there, room there is uh, to go either way. Though I would suspect that... Uh, um, the, that I would suspect that people are, um, you know, have been, as I think this was as Andrew Slimman said last week, is that investors have been so pessimistic that they um, can, that, uh, sorry, you know, uh, that they just don't have a lot of holdings. There's not a lot to sell. Um, and so perhaps getting that debt ceiling then is the thing that forces, getting a deal done is the thing that forces uh, people to, you know what, say, you know, gosh, I just have to get back into this market. I can't wait any longer. The flip side of that, of course, is that, you know, I remember back in, I think it was, can't remember what the years anymore. It's a 2011, the first uh, time we had it during the financial crisis. Um, where Sounds about right. I, I remember it's first getting some talk at the beginning of the year. Everybody's downplaying it. And I, I remember going to a Barclays event. And if I've repeated this story, everybody should just tell me to be quiet. But that Aaron Gerwitz was there saying that he thought that it was going to be a much bigger deal that year than it had ever been. And he was absolutely right. And since then, I've always been thinking that there are things that are happening because of politics, because of, you know, financial crisis, because of all this kind of stuff that have never happened be before. And I would not be surprised if we see something uh, a little uh, a little crazier here than we had uh, in the past. And uh, what I found interesting is that, uh, you know, I was looking at uh, a note um, from Tom Block over at Fundstrat, and what he says, like, if the biggest challenge right now is that uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, has such uh, little power. Um, he had to trade so much of it to even get the job that he it's going to be really hard um, to to get uh, to get a deal done, to get the the, um, the party to, to the Republican Party to, to rally behind it and make it happen. Um, I think if you had a stronger speaker that this you could probably find a middle ground um, that would get it raised and everything would go on. But I'm not sure that's here yet. And there's a lot of people, including our Randy Forsythe, who thinks that, um, you know, it's going to take a market reaction, a stock market reaction, before politicians are going to finally get together and get a deal done. I think Randy wrote that the market would have to fall 800 points to wake up Washington. That's a nice fall. Uh, and that in his story keeps doing very well. He wrote it two weeks ago, was a column rather, and um, obviously that is resonating with 
connect with our readers. Yeah, I think as we get closer to uh, what could be the X date, you know, it's been said that it could be as soon as uh, June 1st is when the government really, quote, runs out of money. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, that's not far away. That's two weeks from now, basically. Um, and I think it will start getting more attention as we get closer to that date. Yikes, two weeks away. All right, let's move on to earnings this week. It's time to take a look at companies reporting. We're nearing the end of first quarter reporting season, but you know what they say, it ain't over till the retailers sing because they have a January fiscal year. So we'll start, we'll hear from some of the big retailers as the week goes on. But first I wanna talk about what kind of earnings season it's been. About 90% of the S&P 500 market cap has already reported. So let's take a look. Before we do that too, I just want to remind listeners, we'll take questions at the end of the call. So send them in now. Okay, Ben, let's get the big wrap up on earnings and then we'll look at some of the companies reporting. Sure, so we've had 462 companies report. That was through Friday. Um, and the earnings have been actually quite good um, relative to expectations. Um, so sales um, have grown uh, by 4.3%. That's a 2.4% surprise. Earnings have dropped 2.5%, but that's a 6.5% upside surprise. Um, and so that that's quite good. Of course, uh, the um, you know earnings are are, are falling, and um, that's not so good. But at least relative to expectations, um, it's been a pretty good earnings season. It hasn't been great though in terms of the response to uh, by the stock market. The average stock has actually dropped zero point three percent after results, and even companies beating on both the top and the bottom line have averaged just a 0.4% increase. Um, and that's against a 1% increase on the five-year average. Um, and double misses are getting hit very hard. They've been down 4.4% versus a five-year average of 2.9%. What's a double miss? Is that missing on the top on, and sorry, bottom line? Top and bottom line, yep. Missing earnings wow. and missing on um, sales. And so this has been one of those occasions where beating on beating both for earnings and sales hasn't really helped that much but if you miss you're in trouble um and you know that's we can see that in a lot of the uh the stock action which has been very uh very volatile to say the least okay so let's take a look at some of the companies reporting we'll start with home depot it reports tomorrow what's on tap there well there, there's a the sentiment on home depot has been pretty lousy um you know that the sales have been slowing the earnings growth growth is slowing there's going to be bad weather um an impact on the numbers um from the the first uh, quarter of the year um and then we have the consumer problems you know the consumer is not as strong as before and so there was this idea that you know what people might not be able to buy um a, they might be stuck in their homes so maybe they're going to spend more on um, on fixing up their homes but if that's the case we aren't seeing it yet and uh, but really the big question, um, according to Simeon Gutman over at Morgan Stanley, is what's going to happen to full year guidance? He seems almost hopeful um, that uh, it will um, that Home Depot is going to lower it just so that it is out of the way and it won't be a focus um, of its uh, investor meeting in June. Um, and, and I just can't imagine that any of that is uh, good for the stock. That being said, um, 
this has been a pretty tough year already for Home Depot. It's down 8%. Um, the S&P 500, we said, is over is up over 7%. So that's a 50 percentage point uh, gap there. Over the past 12 months, it's down 2%. Um, so it's been knocked down quite a bit already. And I think that's the saving grace for the stock. If the uh, earnings could come in at a pretty decent level, the guidance is okay, um, maybe there's a bounce here. All right, moving on, Target. Target's been a big loser over the past year. It's down 28%, although it's up 66% this year. I would think Target would be a big beneficiary of the Bed Bath bankruptcy. But tell us what investors should pay attention to when Target reports on Wednesday. I think the Bed Bath bankruptcy at this point probably gets uh, blown up a, a little bit uh, as, as for the impact because it's been in decline for so long. Target, though, is definitely a beneficiary. Um, it actually has had market share gains um, in lots of different categories. It has um, you know, customer loyalty. It has great brand partnerships with companies like Apple and Ulta and even Levi's. Um, and it, uh, um, and there's, you know, it also also has a private label stuff that's been good for people who don't want to spend too much. So you have, you know, almost a barbell there. Like you can get great brands if you want, but you could also go cheap. Um, the problem is that um, the consumer discretionary spending is dropping and that's really what Target sells. It sells discretionary stuff. It's much uh, lower into things like groceries and other things that people need. And that could be a problem for the stock this quarter. Um, it's it's actually strange because you're seeing um, the, the sentiment is pretty bad here. You're seeing even buy rated analysts sound very pessimistic. Um, they're cautious about the, uh, the, the uh, about the discretionary spending. Um, they're also cautious about um, just uh, uh, about having to do um, sorry to do markdowns and things like that. And so even when they're when they're buy rated, um, you're seeing them say things like you know Target's long term margin recovery opportunity is favorable, but we're lowering our estimates near term to reflect trends across retail, um, including slower discretionary demand and the likelihood of higher promotional environment. You know, it's it's just it's so negative. Um, and so it'd be interesting to see if uh, all that negativity has uh, been built into the stock yet a way that can rebound off of this earnings report. Sounds like they're very worried about the near term and don't want to say anything unkind about the future. Yeah, it, it really does. So tell me about TJX. On the other hand, that has been a big winner. The stock is up 38% over the past year. Um, yeah, it's it's done great. Uh, part of that is it's a beneficiary of all these problems at places like Target and uh, clothing retailers who bought too much stuff, had to get rid of it, and a lot of it ends up at uh, TJ Maxx stores. Um, where you know people can get it at a discount, um, and that's been great uh, for TJX. Um, you know, its its sales have been growing, its earnings are growing. Um, the big concern for the stock um, heading into this uh, earnings report is just that now that these companies, these other retailers, have reduced their inventory, um, what's uh, what's going to be left for TJ Maxx to sell? Um, and, and the other is for uh, just an off price generally is that you have to worry about lower income consumers and whether they have the money to spend in these places. Cowan, though, thinks TJX is the best position of the stocks. They even think the guidance is going to go higher um, with the kind of performance it's had over the last year. Um, it probably needs to have guidance go higher, but it also hasn't done much this year. It's down 0.9%. Um, and so it's underperformed by quite a bit. And so if it gets a good number here, the stock will head higher. 
All right, can we spend a minute on Walmart? And then I'm going to go to listener questions, and then I'm going to go on to China. All right. Um, so Walmart, um, it's it's the big one here. Um, it's I mean it's been so strong through all this, and uh, you know it's it's up eight percent year to date. It's up three point four percent for the past twelve months. Earnings are growing slightly. They're expected to come in at a dollar thirty one a share versus a buck thirty, and sales are going up uh, nicely too. I think the big issue with Walmart is just that it has gotten very expensive. It's trading at twenty two point five times fiscal 24 earnings. Um, normally, uh, in, in the five years leading up to the pandemic, it averaged 18 times. Um, so it's at an expensive level now, um, is close to its pre-pandemic high. Um, and it's much more expensive than the S&P 500 um, by 33%, when normally it'd be about 9%. Um, and so I think that's what you have to worry about here is that because it has gotten so expensive as a stock, um, is there a number, does the number have to be so good that it just blows things out of the water to send the stock higher? Or is just the fact that Walmart is such a defensive stock with all this worry out there, is that going to be enough? for it to sustain the shares. A lot to think about there for sure. So keep an eye on the retailers this week. Let's go to some listener questions. We had a question from Miroslav. What do you think about SPCE? That is Virgin Galactic stock. Yeah, um, I'm not a huge fan. Uh, my colleague Al Root wrote about um, some of these space uh, stocks um, uh, in this weekend's edition of, of Barron's. And the ones that he focused on uh, that, that he likes the most are um, Rocket Labs and Planet Labs. Um, Rocket, yeah, I think I got that right. Um, RKLB and PL, I think. Um, they, but what, what sets those two apart is basically that they are, um, they're, they're actually growing their sales pretty nicely. Um, Rocket Lab actually um, has surpassed the, the sales target it put out, the sales forecast it put out when it went public as a SPAC, um, which is very, very rare. Um, and so these two, those two are the ones that are, are his, his favorites. I don't, I, um, I don't think we think much of Virgin Galactic. Um, you know, it's, it's an air travel business, basically. Um, it's, it's trying to do, you know, uh, supersonic flight um, in, in low level space. And that's great, but I just don't think it's a great business. Um, that said, that the, you know, the stock is volatile. It's trading at, uh, at $4, and which means that, you know, it's not under a, a buck, which means that uh, the market is giving it a, a fighting chance. Um, but it's not one of our favorite stocks at this point. Okay. What about Amazon? Short-term and long-term? Robot well, wants to know. Amazon is a very interesting one. Um, you know, I mean, again, big tech has been such a big part of things that, uh, um, you know, you have to, uh, it's, uh, sorry, uh, big tech has been such a big uh, driver that it, it's hard to, to know exactly how much is really based on fundamentals and how much is based on just people wanting to own these stocks. Um, but th there's no doubt that, that the stock is uh, very strong and the business has been getting better. Um, they did a lot of cost cutting, which has really been the, I think, the main thing for all these tech stocks, aside from Apple, is just acknowledging, you know what, we can't just keep throwing money away and expect uh, um, investors to 
to, to, to buy our stocks. Um, and, and so when you look at it, you know, you have a 50 day moving average that is now um, rising um, and the stock's a little bit above that. It's a little bit above its 200 day moving average, which had been doing going down, but looks like it might be trying to turn higher. Um, and, and so here, Amazon's going to have to show that they can get the cloud growth going again. They have to show that retail is holding up. Um, but to, despite its big um, bounce off the bottom, it's not that far off the bottom compared to some of the others. Um, and so I, I think I'd, I'd, it's one that I'd want to keep a pretty close eye on. Um, and it could be interesting here uh, to the upside. Okay. Um, Cynthia asks, are healthcare stocks in a good position to hold for investments? I have not given up on healthcare as I close in from my retirement years in a year's time. So first of all, congratulations, Cynthia, on your impending retirement. And Ben, what do you make of healthcare stocks? No, Jacob Sonnenschein uh, wrote a story uh, about healthcare a little while ago. Um, actually, I think just a week or two ago. Um, and basically, he argued that uh, they were in a pretty good spot. Um, they, they they do offer they offer two things that investors really want that often don't go together. They're they're pretty defensive just because people need what they're selling, um, but they also have growth. Um, in there. And so you get that combination of the two and there, there are not many sectors quite like that. Um, they, it, it's a very, it feels like a very hit or miss sector right now. Um, you know, it's, uh, you look at some, and there, there are headwinds in a lot of things like the, the biotech companies are, are the, the small biotech companies are having a tough time because um, with uh, rates going higher, their cost of funding is, is much higher than it has been. And that's, that's a problem for them because they need a lot of money to fund themselves. Um, and so that weakness in biotech has spread into other places, including a, a barren stock pick that, uh, um, called uh, Thermo Fisher, which is a is a great company, but uh, is getting punished right now for this this biotech stuff. Um, but you also have some you know great stocks that managed to sidestep those areas that are, are doing very very well. Whether it's an Eli Lilly because of um, uh, both Alzheimer's drugs and uh, obesity drugs, um, you have it in some of the um, uh, the medical device companies as well. And I, when I take a look at the um, uh, the chart again they're sitting on a 50-day moving average and a 200-day moving average which are trying to turn up the sector had been very strong um something called the uh, the 14-day rsi had actually gone up to 80 which is almost tells you it's overbought but has pulled back to a level that maybe it looks like could start turning higher again so i think it's a pretty good sector um is uh, but it, you do have to be careful with the kind of stocks you're picking fair enough so here's a question um be curious to hear how you answer it John asks, Ben, what has surprised you the most about the market year to date? Uh, I, I think it's the, um, uh, the, the return of big tech. Um, I, I thought after last year, I didn't expect another big down year from, from big tech stocks. Um, uh, but I did think that, uh, you know, after having the kind of outperformance that they did over uh, for the length of time they did and because of the, uh, the concentration that they do have in the indexes um, at this point, that we had really seen the, uh, um, the, the last of these companies really dominating the market. And um, boy, was I wrong. Um, these stocks are uh, incredibly strong uh, again. Um, and that uh, it, it does that does worry me. It worries me in two ways. Is one, um, you know, are, is this strength going to continue? Is it something that you know we should be buying because they're so strong, um, or, or does it 
point to something that's more like uh, the 2000 uh, scenario where, you know, you get a, a sell off, um, um, you get a sell off early, but then you get a uh, and you get the bear market, but then you do get a rally that lasts quite a bit of time before it all falls, falls apart again. Um, and this is what I'm wrestling right now, because, um, you know, I have to ask myself, how did I get this so wrong? Um, and uh, in getting it wrong, um, am I missing something that's going to, you know, get our help our readers, you know, make a lot of money going forward? But like you had to be in these stocks and that's painful for me that we were not. So Howard points out that if you look back two years, the big techs are still down from their highs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's true. The the one that's the closest to their highs is um, uh, is Apple, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but as I was saying about Amazon, Amazon has pulled back, uh, it has bounced a lot, but it is still, um, you know, if I go look at a at a two year chart. Um, you know, Amazon's where it's at 110 right now, and its high was uh, closer to 190. Um, as back in, in 2021. Um, I think you can say the same for for most of these companies. I think Apple's the one that um, has done quite well. Um, it's it has, I should say, has held up the best um, of all these. Um, but it, it's also gotten much more expensive than it used to be. Uh, but Apple's actually, you could see it making a run at its old high. I think the, the high was probably around 185-ish, and right now it's at 172. Um, so the, the all-time high is not far um, for Apple. Um, and then the other one I would mention is uh, Microsoft um, is another one that has, it's not as close to its all-time high as Apple, but it's one that has actually gotten, uh, it, it's pretty expensive from its uh, lows where the P was around 20, it's now trading at 28 times. And that's still below where it was at its peak, but it, it's not a cheap stock. Um, so, yeah, you know, you're right. This has been, um, they, they still off, are off their highs. Some of them have come a long way, though I'd look at Microsoft as one that's come pretty far from its bottom. Um, Facebook scares me a little bit too, because that's really come off the, the bottom, sorry, meta platforms. Um, but you're absolutely right. These stocks have gotten, uh, were beaten up very hard and a lot of them are still very far away from their all-time highs. Gotta hand it to Warren Buffett on Apple. Yeah, he just keeps holding. He does. He certainly does. So Kevin asks a question. It's it's the inverse of what I asked. What? How would the stock market respond if there is a default on the U.S. debt? Um, in other words, if no agreement is reached by the time the debt ceiling expires, there is, is a or well, is hit. right. I mean, I I think that there will um, be a, a market reaction. Um, I'm I'm not sure it's a long one though. Um, that you, you get a sell-off and, um, and I think I lost uh, Ben. Yeah, I, I think I, I may still be here. I can hear you, Lauren. Um, the, I, I think what you, you can see is that, uh, the market sells off quite a bit, but then ends up, um, bouncing back because when we saw that there, there's actually been one time where the U S defaulted, that was in 1979 and it was first over the debt ceiling. And then the debt ceiling, uh, got solved, but it was so close to the date that checks had to go out. There was a printer failure. The checks didn't get mailed on time and the U S technically defaulted. Um, 
I, I think that uh, the assumption many people have right now is that even if we miss payments, which would be a technical default, that the debt ceiling at some point will be raised and all the missed payments will get made um, after that. So there'll be a period of volatility, but that we end up going um, along our, our merry way for a while. I do think the bigger question comes down to why do we keep doing this every few years? And um, and it, uh, you know, I, I know Kevin had in here as part of his question, why doesn't Washington actually try to resolve uh, the debt problem? Um, and, and I think that's a good question is, uh, you know, it'd be great if the two parties could get together and try to figure out how to manage the debt um, and uh, get it, you know, have a plan for at least making it uh, a little more manageable instead of having these battles uh, pop up every uh, couple of years or so. It'd be wonderful if they could get together and manage anything. That is, that is very true, Lauren. <laughs> Alas, these days. So I promised we'd go back to China. And I do want to talk about Chinese tech companies for a moment. We've got Baidu and Alibaba both reporting this week. These stocks are actually doing okay this year. They're kind of flattish like the rest of the market. What's expected from an earnings perspective? And do you think that more U.S. investors are now dabbling in China stocks again? Well, I think, uh, you know, traders like to go where um, to what's moving. And mm -hmm. you know, these stocks were great stocks, um, really, from the November bottom up until February. They've pulled back since then. Um, and, and that's been a little bit on the disappointing. China's economy has improved, but not as much as people would like. Um, but if you look at them uh, today specifically, you'll see, you'll see that both Baidu and Alibaba are are higher on the day. I think they're both up uh, in the U.S. trading by, uh, it was at 3% at one point. Alibaba's up 2.6% uh, uh, right now. Um, and um, let's see, Baidu is up um, actually almost 6% right now. And I think one of the reasons is that China, um, the PBOC uh, it put, it left rates on hold, but it did add more liquidity to uh, the economy there. And uh, there's um, suspicion, perhaps, that they're going to cut rates at a future meeting. And I think that that kind of um, uh, that kind of liquidity being added to the economy is is really helping. Um, it, with Alibaba, I think the big question is what are they going to say about this uh, transformation plan that they have? They're going to become a holding company. They're going to have all these different units of these businesses inside them. They might IPO some at some point. And there's also this idea that, you know what, maybe the regulatory environment, which was so negative towards Alibaba, specifically in the tech center generally, um, has turned a, a little kinder, perhaps. And that that should be um, a good news for Alibaba um, over the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, that's according to uh, Truist. Um, and then you have uh, uh, Baidu. And Baidu, the, the good news is that recovery uh, is a recovery in advertising. Um, Zuho is saying that you're going to uh, see advertising grow 3% year over year. Um, and you're also going to see cloud revenue growth improving, um, which is also great. Their biggest worry is that um, going into AI, into the generative AI kind of stuff out there, there's demand for it, but it's expensive. It means expensive chips and spending more money, and that could put some pressure on margins and profit growth. Um, but they also expect that uh, over the longer term, it's going to be a, um, it, there'll be just a lot of upside from the uh, generative AI and from gains in the cloud. But I think uh, right now you're just looking at these stocks as plays on a possible, uh, um, you know, extra liquidity in China, which would contrast with the 
U.S. where, um, you know, we're still uh, it's still pretty tight or uh, in terms of the rate hikes. Um, and so the, I would suspect that people are, are buying these stocks that they could head higher in the near term. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would suspect so as well. So one last question from Dennis. He wants to know, is gold a good investment at current prices? Uh, gosh, that is a good question. Um, I much <laughs> I would have rather bought it back in November than now. Um, Wouldn't we all? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, you know we had our at Barons. You know we had a uh, we kind of anticipated this in recommending Newmont Mining. Um, I think that was back in September um, or so. That was Nick Jasinski um, who was looking at a possible gold rally, and that was our that was our pick um, then. And it's done okay, but not as well as gold. I mean, I think gold is really dependent on. Um, uh, on there being more trouble with the debt ceiling, um, more trouble with um, just, you know, central banks and inflation, you know, that uh, perhaps the Fed is blinking too early. Um, and so I think it's probably a, a hedge in that regard um, that, uh, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's a hedge that bad stuff happens. And so it probably has a role in the portfolio because of that. Um, but it, it's also one where right now it does look extended. Um, I, I would probably, you know, if you don't own any, own any, maybe it's worth owning a little bit here uh, and then waiting to see if there's a pullback opportunity to, to, to pick it up. But it's one where I'd probably just want to wait and see before I do anything. I thought you were going to say wait and see if, if chaos engulfs us. Yeah, you do want to be in before the chaos actually hit. But right. uh, uh, so we'll have to see. All right. No chaos today. It's a very calm market, as we know before. So we'll leave it there, Ben. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your insights today. Thank you, Lauren. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for your excellent questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, we'll continue the conversation about tech. Barron's Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, will speak with Brooke Dane, Tech Fund Manager at Goldman Sachs, about the outlook for technology stocks. So do tune in for that. Thanks again, everybody, for staying with us today. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.